Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Welcome to Inside Groove as we kick off another week of Supermodified coverage. Uh, we look forward to doing this each and every week. This is episode 56, I think, if I've got my numerical sequencing uh, correct. We'll uh, double-check that as we go through the show. And I want to start the show by saying a special thank you to uh, the folks in the Midwest Supermodified series uh, promotions team, Kevin Sears and his uh, group, who were uh, kind enough to pass along audio from the top three finishers that reign this past weekend. We'll hit uh, that a little bit later on in the program. We're going to start off today's program with our feature interview, and it is none other than John McKennedy. And John is a driver that I am looking forward to talking to because I don't believe that uh, we have had John on the inside group before. I do think, John, we had you on one of our other Race Chaser radio shows at one point. But um, I want to talk to you, first of all, obviously, about uh, the big win that you had at Lee. You know, this has been such a strange season. And to think that... Um, the first actual ISMA points race, if you will, or if it was going to be an ISMA sanctioned race, I guess is the way I want to say it. Um, first actual ISMA sanctioned race wasn't until, you know, basically the month of August, but, um, you were able to, uh, rebuild the car and bring it out and, uh, Really, I mean, you had some real tough competition as always in this field and it looked like, uh, you had them covered. Yeah, we. <laughs> We had a really good car, really. I mean, it's always nice to look back on notes. You know, we've run that car now the last three years up there. You know, and every year we seem to always improve a little bit. So Lee was definitely a race I felt pretty good going to, you know, good notebook. We made some adjustments to the car during the, during the winter. You know, all things I think were all positive. And, you know, between just improving the car a little bit and having a good notebook, you know, it just it gave us a really good a really good uh, position to to run up front, and you know, going into the race, I I felt very comfortable, pretty confident. I just knew the car had to stay together, and you know, have nothing um, nothing stupid happen. Just try to stay out of trouble, and um, you know, I, I felt pretty good. You've uh, you've been a driver that for a number of years now. Um has driven both a modified and a super. And of course, as I mentioned a minute ago this year with the virus and the shutdowns and all of the craziness of trying to reschedule shows and, and all of that, um, you haven't had a whole lot of time to run either one. Uh, but I do think, uh, if I remember correct, I think you've run either one or two of the tour races, right? Yeah. So we started off, you know, running the first few races. I think we raced, Three times now. Three times with the Mod Tour, okay. Um, yeah, so we got three races with the NASCAR Wheel of Modified Tour, and obviously our first race with Ismar last week. So, yeah, here we are in August, and we've only got to race four times. But, you know, it is what it is. It's uh, a tough situation. Everyone's all in the same boat, and just you kind of got to make the mess of it. What is it like, though, from a driving standpoint? Um, I mean, obviously, drivers 
get into a rhythm and and like anything else when you don't do something for a little while it it takes you sometimes a week or two to get going what has this year been like for you as a driver to not have that consistency of races um in terms of being able to sort of get 100 percent up to driver speed more or less yeah it's, it's been a little different for sure um you know luckily though we're able to do some testing with the with the NASCAR modified, you know, a month or so before our first race. Okay. And we did some testing as well with the super modified. So that was, uh, you know, certainly a positive for both cars, you know, get me familiar with the cars again and kind of work the bugs out of each car. So, you know, testing's always good, but ultimately a lot of it kind of comes back pretty quick. You know, you, you race your whole life and, um, you know, you, you it all comes back fairly quick. So, um, I know some people think it maybe takes a little a little while to get back in the rhythm, but um, it, it seems like most of it comes back pretty quick, to be honest with you. Okay. what What is it like for you? What are the differences in, in the driving that it takes with the Modify versus the Super from a driving standpoint? Yeah, so, I mean, ultimately they're both race cars, right? Um, but the big difference is the Super is much faster. It's, you know, much lighter. Yeah. I think the Super is, you know, more of a forgiven car. You know, a lot of downforce. Very fast, though. You have to respect it. Things happen quick. You know, you have to certainly look way up ahead. Um, you know, when things happen, things happen quick. You know, it's all open wheel. There's no radios. So it's, you know, the Super has definitely its own challenges. Um, by no means are they an easy car to drive, but. I can tell you when they're working good with all the downforce and you hit the setup just right, um, man, they're just they're fast and they're just glued right to the track. I can you know, the modifieds it, it's a whole different deal. Much heavier car, virtually no downforce. You know, it's a little bit we get off the rear spoiler. Um, you know, it's just, it's tough. The modified, you know, with the NASCAR modified series is probably one of the toughest. Uh, short track series, I'd say, in the country, to be honest with you. Yeah, I would I think agree. a lot of drivers who have raced and followed racing would agree with that. It's just the depth of that division is, uh, <laughs> it's just unreal, really. I mean, our average race with the NASCAR Modifieds, you get around 35 cars, and I'd say 30 out of those 35 is all top-notch equipment, the best of the best. You got guys that have been doing it the whole life, and you have some really good drivers. So it really forces you to get the most out of a car. Um, you know, there's times where you could just be a little bit off. You know, and you look at the speed shot, you could be as low as twentieth. <laughs> yeah. You know, the whole the whole field's literally only two or three tenths apart. So it it really forces you to get the most out of a car. You know, learn what you got to do to really find that edge and. You know, I think it's really helped me over the years running the Modifieds. You know, when I get back into a Super, it's just, it seems like the last few years I really found that edge, and I think ultimately it made me a better driver. Um, but, yeah, the Modified is just, it's a tough deal. You know, I always look at the Modifieds, you know, with the NASCAR series. You, you have five five Chris Curleys out there, five DJ Schulichs, five Russ Woods, you know, five <laughs> yeah. Bentley Warrens. You just there's so much depth in that division so it's um you know it's 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 tough it's uh it's a tough car to drive and 
some really stiff competition. I understand the analogy you were trying to make there by saying five Bentley Warrens, but uh, I'm not sure the world is ready for five Bentley Warrens, John. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was a little wild man back in the day from what I hear, but at the end of the day, he was a hell of a race car driver. I think anyone that follows racing has all heard the name. Oh, yeah. Growing up as a kid, I always enjoyed watching Bentley. He won a ton of races, good, clean driver, and, you know, he has a, a lot of respect from a lot of people. Let's uh, talk about your background a little bit. How did you, first of all, what attracted you to racing? When did you start going to races? Or, you know, how did your relationship with the sport start? And then, and then talk about what uh, kind of got you started driving cars. Yeah, so it really goes back, you know, a little over 20 years ago, my dad uh, was always into racing. At one time, he actually owned the Super Modified, and he ran up at Star Weekly. And oh, okay. Ryan Wood actually drove it, Russell Wood's brother, and they had some success, won some races. And at a young age, my dad got me into some go-kart stuff, and right away, I really enjoyed it. I found success pretty quick. I think my second or third race out, we had won. And Wow. I tell you, after that, I was just, I was kind of hooked. It's something I've done pretty much the whole rest of my life. Um, it's been a huge part of my life. I Pretty much all my time goes into racing. It's what I want to do, and I really enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I'd have to say my dad, you know, was a, a big factor with all that. He got me into it and was behind me for many, many years. So did you start in the supers? I mean, in, in terms of if we're talking about supers and mods, did you did you run the supers first and then go to a modified then because your dad had the small block? No, so, it, you know, in the younger days, we ran the go-kart stops and mini sprints, and then I actually ran a a full year or two on like a full fendered car, almost like a street stock late model deal. Okay. Um, did well, and then after that, we actually ran a few years with the 350 Super Modified Division. Yeah, okay. Up at Star and Lee Speedway, and did well. And after that, we actually ran the Paul Dunnigan Super Modified. I believe that was like around 2004. Okay. And I did well. I think my first race out, I want to say I might have been a sixth. And uh, the following year, we did run ISMA for the whole year, 2005. And then right around 2006, 2007, I started running some modified stuff. And, you know, really like the last 10, 10 to 13 years, it's been a lot of uh, modified stuff and supers kind of back and forth. And, you know, a little bit of other open wheel stuff that ever, you know, comes along for an opportunity. So the car that your dad had was a big block super. It wasn't a 350 then. Right, yeah, it was a big okay. block super. That okay. They ran weekly up at Star, and um, they eventually, you know, changed it over for a 350 super. Right, yeah, okay. And, uh, yep. So you didn't ever drive for your dad then in the super? Not for the big block, no, just a, a few years with the 350 supers. Okay. Okay, so you yep. uh, you raced for him in the 350s, but then uh, Paul Dunnigan was your first big block uh, ride then. Yes. Was was Paul Sr. still, I, I I sometimes lose track of time, Did you was Paul Sr. still with us at that point, or did you run for Junior? 
No, I believe Paul Senior had, had just passed. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, the race that I did was all with with Paul Junior. Okay, I was going to say Senior was always another character that uh, when him and Bentley got together, those two being in the pit with those two was just like um, watching the Benny Hill show all night. Uh, I mean, it was just it was comedy from one end to the other. But boy, when it came to the racing, they were both serious and uh, both an awful lot of uh, fun to watch. Uh, Paul making sure that the car is prepared well and keeping on top of that side of it with Brian and then, of course, Bentley on the track. But uh, Paul was a character. I always enjoyed him a lot. Yeah, they were they were definitely a good combination. I can remember some stories and uh, think back at some certain things back when I was a kid with all them around. And Yeah, it's, uh, time goes by quick, though, man. I remember a lot of those days like it was yesterday. Yeah, for sure. Um, used to used to love watching them in the swiggle, uh, no doubt. Um, so uh, you actually, so you ran Supers for all these, started racing Modifies, I think. Did you run for Art Berry? Am I dreaming that or did you run a few years for art yeah so i ran a a year or two with art okay that's what i thought yeah 2012 yeah okay with uh with the modified racing series and we also did some open races as well because I, th- I think that's the first modified that i actually remember seeing you in and i'm sure you did some other things before that probably but that was just happened to be the the first time that i sort of noticed oh hey john's running a a modified and um and you've always had you've had good success in both cars what do you attribute that to your adaptability what what do you what do you attribute that to well, i think you know it's a few things a lot of it's you know effort we put a lot of time in these cars and my dad always was a, a guy that believed effort equals success and we put a ton of time in the car try to prepare them the best we can write as many notes as we can so when we go back following year or whatever the situation may be we're just that much more prepared and you know when you go back to a track you should always you should always improve never go backwards so that's something we've always really paid a lot of attention to um all the little details on the car and you know i've been fortunate too i've had a lot of good people over the years teach me things and you know i've been surrounded by good help you know and it goes back you know, we talked about the Dunnigan days with Bentley. Um, you know, I was hanging on there as a kid, just a teenager, and Brian Allegresso, who was pretty much the guy in charge of the whole deal down there, yep. built all the cars and called the shots. I was down there all the time, and I used to just watch him and listen. And, you know, I got a lot of information from him over the years. And just, um, you know, it's there's so many people I could... I could go on and on about all the people that helped me over the years. I learned so much, but Brian's up there, a guy that comes to mind, you know, talking about the Dunnigan, the Dunnigan days with Bentley and all them, and, you know, being my first super modified race. So, yeah, it's just it's, it's a combination of everything, you know, having the right people behind you, you know, putting the time in the cars and just always trying to improve. You know, I like to watch videos and, you know, learn from mistakes I've made from the past and just always try to go forward. And, um, I think if you kind of have that mindset, you, you kind of, you, you can set yourself up to be a better driver. And ultimately as you get older with more experience, you could, you could, um, you know, win a lot of races. It's a great way to be. Yeah, definitely. Uh, preparation. Uh, I think it was Pat Abel that said to me years ago, he was the first one that I heard this from, 
um, he said, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And I just, that's always stuck with me um, in anything, not just racing. I think that's true in business. It's true in anything that you do. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think uh, especially now, I mean, the supers are, and you've seen them evolve. And even to the point of, uh, of course, the Swiggo making the decision last year to go from, um, to go from the uh, triple plane rear wing to the single plane tail. And I know that you went up um, and ran a show or two there last year at Oswego. Um, how do you, how do you find the supers to be now? I mean, it's always been true that obviously it requires something different to go run a different track than it, you know, would run to run Oswego. But, um, you know, how do you find it now with the, the, the single plane tail wing, what what do you think about where the super modified division is and, and how how easy is it to take a car, say like the car you got, for example, and, and, and make it competitive for a swiggle versus running with a top wing? Yeah, I can tell you it's certainly it's uh it's a little bit challenging. It's a lot different than obviously running the big top wing, you know, with Ismer. Yeah. Um I do think this the new single element rail wing is a better deal though overall big picture for everyone it seems like it made the cars that were a little bit off in past years able to compete or at least be competitive um i didn't race a whole bunch of oswego over the years yeah you know what their old package with their tail wing right but from everyone used to tell me the cars were so aero dependent you know getting air to the tail was 75 percent of you know how to make that car go fast. Right. And by, I think, eliminating that and putting the single element up on the top of the cage, it kind of made everyone almost more equal in a way. Um, you know, but it certainly required a little bit different setup than what you would run with the Isma top wing. I know we went to Oswego last year for the opener, my first time there running with no wing, and we were horrible in practice uh, test day. We were literally over a second off the pace. I was, you know, frustrated, but, you know, yeah. we were able to find a bunch of speed when we went back the following week. You know, had some guys give me some good ideas. We actually went to Star and tested. And uh, what do you know? We went back to Oswego the following week and we led almost the whole race. Yeah. And unfortunately, we had an engine blow up with about 15 laps to go. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, a lot of hard work and changing things around and, you know, we were able to pick up that car almost a full second from where we were the previous week. So it was cool. It's, um, I actually liked it, to be honest. You know, the car kind of slides around a little bit more, almost more like a modified. You don't have all that downforce. And I feel like when you take the top wing away that we run in Ismer, it kind of puts the driver more in hand. Yeah. Just yeah. Because the car is more vulnerable to slide around, easy to overdrive. You know, you need more brakes. So. It's uh, it definitely got its challenges, but uh, you know, once we had a decent car, I felt like I was able to adapt to it, and um, you know, we had a really good run. Just unfortunately, we had an engine blow up, and that kind of took us out of it. Will it be something you'd like to do more of? And could you, with say, with the car you got, could you do, could you, could you convert your car easily to run at Oswego with uh, with the tail wing versus the top wing is how easy would it be to do that and say, go run the classic if that's what you wanted to do? Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of work, but I think realistically it's possible. Um, 
especially when we ran this car last year, we do have some notes now running that tail wing. And I can tell you for something, you know, personally, I, I would love to run the Oswego Classic. You know, I, I'd never been able to race it. Um, I think it's a race I do well in. You know, it's a long distance yeah. race, something I'm, I'm familiar with. You know, a lot of the modified stuff is long. Yes. And I just... I just think it'd be cool, you know, to have the challenge. It's such a historic race. It's been around forever. You know, I've been fortunate enough to win a couple star classics. You know, I won the Sandusky classic there with, you know, Clyde Booth a few years ago. That's right. Yeah. So it'd be pretty cool if I could, you know, try to, try to get an Oswego classic. I know it's obviously a lot of work and, um, easier said than done, but I do feel like we could, we could do it. And, um, you know, this year with the whole, the whole virus situation, we probably won't have an Oswego classic this year, but something maybe for next year is something I'm definitely looking, looking forward to trying to do. Well, I can promise you that, uh, as a native Oswegonian myself, I grew up there in the seventies and, uh, now I'm down here, uh, in the Charlotte area, but, uh, still go back there a few times a year when there's races and, and haven't missed a classic and, forever um so uh i can i can speak for all uh race fans especially the ones listening to this show when i say that we would absolutely love to have you uh and and we would love to see you come up and uh, mix it up for the win in the classic and and uh you know i think it'd be awesome to watch now i know you've been running for tommy baldwin what is it like to drive that's kind of one of those historic cars and i feel like you've you've been very fortunate in your career to run for some of the, to me, the most legendary car owners in the business. And, you know, the, the Clyde Booths, the, you know, the Paul Dunnigans, the, um, you know, and, and Art Barry, and, and now, you know, obviously getting to run for Tommy Jr. What's it like to drive uh, that car? Uh, and what's it like to race with Tommy? Because I've never had the, the good fortune of meeting Tommy Jr. in person, but I did meet his dad one time at Oswego when he was still racing. And, um, just the nicest guy. And I've got to believe that Tommy is a whole lot of fun and really enjoyable to race for. And I know he's really committed to winning and you've done that, uh, for him. What's it like to, uh, to race that car? Well, it's awesome. Really. It's, when he, when he called me two years ago during the winter, it was totally out of surprise. Prior to that phone call, we never really talked. I think I met him maybe at Riverhead Speedway the season before running okay. a modified. You know, we just said, hi, how are you? And, you know, that was really it. So when he called me down in the winter to drive his car down at New Smyrna for Speed Weeks, um, it was totally out of left field. We didn't expect it at all. And obviously I jumped right on and, you know, we were able to have a, a handful of wins that first year together, you know, going back in 2018. And, you know, last year we only we only ran, I want to say, a half a dozen races. Right. Just due to a bunch of schedule conflicts. But we always ran up front, had a bunch of top fives, led some laps, won a pole. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Tommy's, Tommy's been good so far, really. He, he works really hard, which I really respect. He's one of the hardest-working guys in the pits. Trust you when I say that. Oh, I believe it. Um, even outside of the track, he just—he has so much going on. The guy, the guy really does do a lot, and he's—he's he's really passionate about the racing. He ain't just there to race; like he wants to do good. He studied that sport and put his heart and soul in it his whole life. You know, made a living for many years being a NASCAR crew chief. You know, for guys like Wood Burton and 
um, Casey Kane back in the day. Oh yeah, you know he he's right up there with the best of them, and you know it's awesome. It's an honor to drive for him, and you know this year we're going to try to run the whole schedule with the NASCAR Modified Series and see what happens. Well, um, yeah, it's something that I've been wanting to do. You know, over the last several years, I've only been able to run a handful of races each year. I've won championships and other modified series, several. Yep. But the one series I haven't been able to do it in is with the NASCAR modified series. And I get a good feeling about this year. Like I said, we're going to run the whole year. Um, we're currently third in points, only a few points out of the lead. And we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, Tommy, Tommy brings great equipment. We've got a good group of guys and, um, you know, that'd just be awesome if we could pull that off, especially with Tommy and, you know, all the guys that have been behind me over the years. Well, I think it would be great for Tommy as well. I'm sure it's a goal of his also. Um, and this is, you know, this is the year. I mean, we I've I've been doing the Mainly Modifieds podcast with Kyle Souza. Um, and, you know, we've talked a lot about the fact that, you know, with the reduction in the number of races you're going to get to race this year on the Tour you really can't afford to throw away a race like maybe you could in the past when you're running 17 shows. If you're only going to get six or eight, it's really hard to have a bad day and recover. So, you know, you're in a pretty good position right now. And, of course, uh, Bonsignor and Colby, um, Bonsignor and Colby haven't slowed down at all, but um, you're in a great position right now if you can uh, – if you can get a couple of more wins to to take the championship home and and you know my I I know people talk about well it's a short season so it wouldn't feel like you know you really won a championship and I kind of raised my eyebrow and it was like well you know I think you'd have a hard time telling that to the driver and the owner and the guys on the team cuz they don't care how many races they run only that they were the best over that amount of races where do you stand with that I mean, the way I look at it, you know, whether we have eight or nine races or 15, it's it's still enough, you know, enough races to kind of right, kind of stack up and see where everyone falls at the end of the year. Um, you know, I think we have raced, we've raced three times so far this year, and NASCAR has come out with another schedule that looks like for the month, the remaining month of August and September and it looks like we're going to have another five or six races anyway, possibly more. So it's looking like we'll have at least nine or 10 races this year. Um, and possibility even a few more. So yeah, certainly you know, a little bit off from what we originally had planned. I think around 16 or 17, but Hey, if they could get 10 or 12 races in, I think that'd be, you know, really awesome, especially considering all the, the circumstances everyone's going through with the, the whole virus and, you know, the tough times that everyone's going through. For sure, without a doubt. Uh, okay, so I always like to give uh, my drivers an opportunity to thank their sponsors, whoever, their team, um, you know, and, and so before we uh, let you go here, uh, talk about who helps you make it happen and throw some props out there. Yeah, with the Isla Super, a big shout-out to Middlesex Interiors. Um, Tim Lapine, my new car owner, Valvoline, Woolwood Brakes, Christopher Stolen, all them people, all my crew guys, everyone that makes it possible with the Super. Um, big thanks to all them. Doker Racing Engines. You know, with the Modified, 
big thanks to Tommy Baldwin and all his guys for all the hard work you do. Ultra Wheel is one of our primary sponsors out of California. Build uh, some, some great custom wheels for pretty much the most exotic cars and ATVs and off-road vehicles you see. So big shout-out to Ultra Wheel and, um, you know, again, all, all the guys that helped me out and make this all possible. Well, we certainly uh, enjoy watching your race, John, and I appreciate you taking some time to talk with me on the Inside Groove Supermodified podcast. And even though it seems like, at least, uh, the Supermodified is probably uh, done for the year, except for maybe the Star Classic, I, I guess, you got coming up. Hopefully that'll that'll uh, take place. So that would be uh, another nice feather in, the, in your cap if you can get that. But uh, we do wish you the best with the uh, the Modified as well and we'll be watching you in the championship chase uh like you said a very deep field for sure and uh this this year looks like it's up for grabs as far as uh who's going to walk off with the championship in the nascar wheeling tour so we'll be wishing you all the best uh with that as well and uh uh hopefully we'll get to uh, talk to you again sometime down the road here on the inside group podcast yeah absolutely and thanks for having me on Absolutely. That is uh, John McKennedy, and we're going to step aside. When we come back, Inside Groove will continue right after this. Victory Custom Trailers is the place to go for your next new or used trailer or coach. Being personally involved in the racing community allows Victory to fully understand what racers need in a trailer. They have over 200 coaches and trailers in stock for a variety of industries, and they can serve anyone in the continental U.S. If you're looking for something custom, they can assist in designing a trailer to fit your needs. Check out their entire inventory online at victorycustomtrailers.com. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math or science person. No excuses. No problem. It's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Helping people start an IT career is their thing. If you don't absolutely love what you do, go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an information technology professional in as little as four months. Attend classes on campus or live online just two or three times a week to get what you'll need to start your new career. More than just a school, My Computer Career helps you get into the industry by working with hundreds of employers that hire their students. My Computer Career is nationally accredited and financial aid is available for those who qualify, including the GI Bill. Classes start soon, so go take the career evaluation now at mycomputercareer.edu. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we now focus our attention on the race that took place last weekend, which ended up being the final race of the 2020 season for the Midwest Supermodified Series as they went to uh, Lorraine Speedway. And Lorraine, of course, has been around forever uh, and has been a part of the Supermodified landscape for decades now. But um, under new ownership, and I'm really excited about this because everything I'm hearing from uh, Ohio tells me that this is going to be a venue that is going to get behind supermodified racing in that area in a very, very big way in 2021, uh, hosting a number of supermodified shows. Uh, and I know everything is uh, kind of in the discussion phase and we're still very early on, but uh, it looks like Lorraine is going to be 
a very strong partner for the Midwest Super Modified Series next year, and that is nothing but good because obviously uh, the folks from MSS have been working really, really hard to uh, rebuild Super Modified interest from a driving standpoint. Uh, certainly enough fans interested in the class still there, but uh, they need to uh, have more cars. And so I know that uh, a lot of discussion is taking place about uh, how to um, how to make an on-ramp for that for next year. And so we'll try to keep you posted as things develop out there. But um, a lot of different ideas on the table right now, some of them very interesting. So we'll see how that uh, progresses as we get uh, more toward the fall and into the winter. Uh, but it looks like uh, the future could be, the skies could be brightening in the Midwest, and the future uh, could be pretty good for super modifieds going forward uh, in that area, which is great. Um, I'm not so sure that I see a good big picture future in terms of the unification of the super modified class, um, but we can discuss that at some other point. Um, you know, I understand this year has been an anomaly, but I'm just not uh, all the signs that I'm seeing are that uh, we're just probably not going to ever see that. So uh, it is what it is. And we have to be um, cheerleaders for what what is there. And uh, so that that's just uh, where we're at at this point. And uh, it looks like uh, MSS is really. Um, onto something, and they're uh, they're starting to develop good relationships with different folks that would suggest that, you know, again, the future is uh, certainly brightening up in that area for super modifieds, and that's awesome. Uh, Rich Reed getting the final win of the season. Good to see Rich back in victory lane. Um, we reached out to him for uh, uh, an extended interview, and uh, weren't able to make that happen for this show, but um, we do have audio from the top three, just victory lane kind of podium interview style. Thank you to Kevin Sears and the uh, promotional team from the Midwest Supermodified Series for uh, that particular audio or each of those audio pieces. You'll hear them here in a moment, back to back to back. Richie getting the win. Otto Sitterly, who is now back in the seven car after being briefly replaced by Smoke Johnson. Smoke is now back in Florida sunning himself on the beach, and Otto is back behind the wheel of old Black Ice and near won the show. Uh, so, <laughs> I guess fourth place wasn't good enough. Smoke got fired. Um, Otto is back in the car and did really well. So uh, congratulations to Otto. We'll hear from him in a moment. And uh, the, the third-place finisher, uh, finishing in the show position, if, if this were a horse race, was Trent Stevens, but the good news is that while he may not have won the battle, he did end up winning the war. Trent Stevens picking up the 2020 Midwest Supermodified Series Championship. I know it was a short season, but you got to beat them while they're racing. And uh, I take nothing away from this championship for Trent. Um, did a good job, and he's a great guy. And you heard from him a few weeks ago on Inside Groove. If you missed that episode, uh, just uh, go to... Uh, race chaser radio on any of your favorite podcast platforms search race chaser radio and scroll down it'll be there uh, or you can just uh, go to the inside groove podcast facebook page 
if you're on Facebook, and it will be there for you as well. Um, just keep scrolling down. We post all of them, obviously, on the page and share them out from there. So um, had a good time with Trent and happy to see him pick up pick up the title. So, um, all right. So with that being said, uh, congratulations to uh, all of the top three. And thank you to the folks at MSS for their cooperation this year with uh, getting me the audio and, you know, getting me drivers and being willing to uh, be a part of the Inside Group podcast. Um, again, we're trying to promote everybody, uh, you know, and, and so if your organization uh, gets me audio or gets me information, I'll share it. Let's hear from, we're going to do this back to back to back. So you will hear from Rich Reed, and then you'll hear from Otto Sitterly, and then you will hear from Trent Stevens, the third-place finisher and the champion. And after that, we'll come back, and we're going to switch gears again. We're going to go back in time, all the way to 1975. And we are going to look at and talk about because it is almost classic time and i know it's not looking good in new york don't get me started uh if we run it we run it at this point i don't know i i i don't know how you could run it i don't know how you get a full field of cars i don't know i mean you aren't going to get canadian fans you're not getting canadian cars I just feel so bad for John and Eric Teresi and the staff at the Oswego Speedway because they're just in the wrong state. Simple as that. Um, so hoping and praying, but I don't have a lot of faith at this point. But either way, we're going to continue to talk about Classic, and we're going to do this right up until and probably past Labor Day weekend because I, I have several Classics I want to talk about. The reason we're going to do 1975 on this show is just simply because it was 45 years ago, and then we'll go to 1980, 1985. You see where we're going with this. And along the way, um, I'm sure we'll uh, get some other classics in, but I want, to do, uh, I want to do some jumping about in time in five or ten year increments just to uh, get up to Classic Weekend. And... Um, and then I'm I'm hatching an idea for a Facebook Live. So uh, just be patient because I'm working on that. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it happen the way I want to. But uh, we're definitely going to do something. And I'm holding off on the date for a specific reason. So um, it is coming, I promise. And it's going to be classic themed. That's, that's why I want to do it. Okay. I said without further ado, I lied. Now I'm going back again and saying without any further ado... <laughs> Here are the podium finishers from Lorraine. Yeah, yeah, not not bad, not bad. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, first thing I want to thank all the fans for coming out here during this COVID stuff. Um, it's nice to see these these people in the stands. It's nice to be back out here racing. And if it wasn't for the fans, we couldn't be here. So we appreciate every each and every one of you guys out here. 
Rich, that was uh, that was quite a race. I mean, there was a, you had to weather a lot of cautions out there. Tell me what was going through your mind. I mean, it had to be that had to be really tough on you. Well, to be honest, the cautions were kind of helping. After we ran four or five laps, the car just got crazy tight. Um, so, you know, normally we don't like all them cautions. We like to go to green checkered, but uh, they were kind of helping me there. So, thanks, guys. <laughs> Rich, this is, uh, I believe, your first career MSS win. Uh, how does that feel for you? Well, you know, this started a couple years ago in Jim Bodnar's garage. And I just got to thank him for this one. All right, thanks, Rich. What kind of sponsors you got for us here tonight? Uh, we got uh, A1 Airboats, Atkins Glass, North Bay Realty, uh, Bush's Cleaning Service. Steve's been with me for a long time, man. He uh, he puts up with all my crap throughout the week, and uh, can't thank him enough. Rich, congratulations on a great win. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, how was that run? That was good. Uh, congratulations, Rich Reed. Long time coming. Good guy. Um, I like him a lot. Sort of just got to know him this, you know, this uh, past year here. Nice guy, and he ran a great race. We just, um, I guess his car did too, but we got real tight at the end. I thought we had something for him, maybe in the mid stages. I was just sort of watching what he was doing there, and we had a little, a good line on the bottom, especially coming out of two. But uh, the last ten laps had just tightened right up. Yeah, you got up to, to uh, second place pretty quick. Tell us a little about that early part of that race. Um, yeah, the car liked the outside, especially going here in one and two. It, it, uh, it liked the outside pretty good. I just got a clean lane a couple times. That's probably you know what gave me a break to get up in there. But, uh, yeah, you know how it goes. I mean, he's uh, you know I consider him a friend, and it's great, but you want to get up there and at least rub him a little bit, you know, and give him a hard time. Uh, any sponsors you'd like to mention tonight? Uh, just all the probably more than the sponsors all the guys that are back home and uh you know it's hard to make the trip and then with all the stuff going on in the world these days i want to thank all the fans for coming out of course and uh everybody that might be watching at home all right thanks a lot Otto. good job more importantly our 2020 mss champion trent stevens trent how does how does that feel tonight uh feels good i mean guess it's only three races and we had some luck play our way but um average finish a second's not too bad <laughs> no that's not bad at all so tell us about that race you went into uh into the pit area early on what did you do back there uh yeah we took the green and and i was behind everybody and i was just sideways and start of a race that's never good so uh that red flag kind of it's like we might as well try something we, we got nothing to lose and um so we just tightened the car up a little bit and uh it definitely helped at the first stage of that race it got me back up to the front pretty quick and then i think we might have gone actually a little too far got a little tight so uh definitely a handful of race car but um you know this is my fifth super modified championship first mss but you know these guys have won 10 i think if i remember right so i mean got a really good crew and, and they know what to do and we, we got consistent and reliable cars and it shows uh any sponsors you want to mention tonight uh yeah i've got to thank uh casper auto group um Real racing wheels, uh, Schaefer's racing oil, SNS cleaning, um, the whole crew, you know. Um, obviously, thank all the fans coming out. I know we're only allowed to be six feet away, so uh, <laughs> who knows. But um, thanks, uh, thanks to everyone. I mean, it was a good night. Uh, wish we would have finished a little better, but still got that championship. Congratulations, Trent. Thank you. 
Okay, welcome back to Inside Groove, and we have a little bit of breaking news here to announce. Um, this just in. We were getting ready to wrap up this week's show, and Jody London uh, reached out to me and said, Hey, uh, can I steal some time? I need to make an announcement. So uh, because we're big fans of Jody London and the Dave London Memorial Race that takes place on Classic Weekend every year, and, of course, he was going to have a huge uh, sport mod race as well that got postponed because as well so far the season has been postponed um we uh we said you know what let's um let's hold up the show just for a little while longer and uh bring him on so jody is with us on the Strutmasters hotline and jody um i understand you have an announcement pursuant to the dave london memorial so uh tell us what's going on tom my friend my wonderful friend i must tell you that it has only taken a pandemic in the great United States to take down one of the greatest New York State superstock races of all time. And now the Day of London Memorial has now fallen victim to the pandemic. I'll correct that to Dem Planet and let you move forward. So the Day of London <laughs> Memorial has been, um, has been uh, I'm going to say postponed for now to 2021. Um, correct. We- the, D- the DLM has been postponed until 2021 of uh, classic 2021. Okay, now I'm just going to, I mean, everybody listens to this show, knows me, knows how I work when I interview somebody. So I'm just going to get straight to the point here because there are a number of us who dream um, as we are allowed to do still, at least for now, until November. We're still allowed to dream uh, without penalty. So as we are allowed to dream, some of us dream that, we have a classic to start the season and a classic to end the season. If the 2020 classic ends up being moved to early of 2021 Memorial day weekend, obviously in our minds would be the perfect place for it. Um, could we see a Dave London Memorial from 2020 on that weekend and another Dave London Memorial for 2021 on the regularly scheduled Labor Day weekend? And this is assuming, of course, that uh, uh, that this all disappears and we get back to normal life. That I cannot answer you correctly because I haven't even thought about that. But with that being said, I don't feel that my my sponsors want to be in a bad position to do that, but I don't know if I'd want to put them in that position to do the double, even though they committed to, you know, I was going to say, cause you, you had, know, you know, you yeah. had the commitments for this year and you just hold everything and then, you know, um, and then do it. So we're just going to leave that as a question mark, um, Correct. and see yeah. where it goes. But, uh, yeah, it's too bad. I mean, I, I you, you had some big plans with Oswego this year as far as the modified race, uh, sport mod race, and the uh, street stock race. And I hate, um, I, I, I hate that uh, they each got uh, postponed, but it is the world we're living in for now. Um, hate hearing this, but I mean, I think we both knew that this was inevitable. And again, I'm. I, you know, I'm not. Go- I, I don't want to start any rumors at this point about the rest of Classic Weekend. I'll let the Speedway handle that. But um, you know, we're uh, we're a couple weeks out here, and n- nothing's changed. So um, I hate it for you, man. Um, you work your tail off, and and uh, 
uh, it, it's just one of those things. I mean, 2020, I mean, we're about to have two hurricanes in the Gulf at the same time, which has never happened before in recorded history. So, you know, 2020 has just been, <laughs> it's been a year of um, WTFs. Let's put it like that. Yeah. So, uh, hate that. Uh, well, we appreciate you jumping on and letting us know about that. And uh, I, I know you'll have big plans uh, for 2021, no matter what uh, form they take here. And uh, I love what you're doing at Oswego. I love that you're doing it at Oswego. And I love that Oswego's embraced you. Um, and, uh, man, we wish you a great uh fall and winter and uh, hopefully we can all get back together under more normal conditions in 2021 and uh, get back to doing what we all love to do i i gotta say though i'm very proud of this year even though everything's been so horrible the way everything panned out i'm very proud that i got to work with us we go i'm very proud of the sponsors i get to work with absolutely because it wasn't the fact of the track ownership from past never cared about you and never, you know, didn't, you know, just didn't say anything to you. This one, it was, they kept me, they kept, you know, the DLM, my sponsors of mid-state basement authorities, they kept everyone in the loop the whole time. And there yeah. wasn't, you know, miscommunication. There, there wasn't anything that would always make you, well, he said this or he said that. Right. Yep. It was, Hey, what's going on? And they gave you an answer, and you know, we, we held on as long as we could until until it became we just we just it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem viable anymore. We you know let's plan for next year. And, and the best part was they said you know they tell them, they told me hey man book it for next year already DLM twenty twenty one classic weekend and that for me was the biggest relief off of my shoulders because sure. yeah. we have a guaranteed place to race next year. Yep. And the DLM is back at, at Oswego and I'm so and I'm so proud of that. Yeah, I feel I, I really feel for John and Eric and, and everybody at the Speedway and everybody connected with the Speedway because um I mean it's just in a really a majority of Central New York motorsports. I mean there were a few tracks that tried to be rebels and um you know and and that's fine. I mean I I I can't blame them at this point. You got to make money but um you know, it's uh, I, I'm really I like I said, it's been it's just you keep you hang on. You want it to happen. You hope it can happen. Um, but, um, you know, I just hate that we're uh, well, it's the 21st. And, and so we were about two weeks out and, um, you know, and, and we don't we, we still don't know anything more definitively than, you know, than we've known for the last month as far as direction of of the government, so to speak. Um, and yet, you know, at this point you're, you're just cutting it awfully close to try and get fans there. And if, if you can have them and, and try and get drivers there and, you know, people to get the time off to go race and whatever. And the the Canadians can't be a part of it. Um, you got people down here who this state's still on the quarantine list as far as I know. So there's three drivers or so in a, in a team owner, uh, at least that are down here. Um, you know, it's just um, it's a mess. So I I feel bad for them, and and uh, you know you know what uh, Jody Camden was the smartest one of all, um, because you know when all this really 
when when the when the heat got turned up and all this really sort of kind of Camden just said, uh, watch this, yeah. y'all, and he left the country. Yeah, he left the country. He's in <laughs> what are you, where is he right now? He's in like Mount Africa. No, he's back uh, now. Brazilian he's, he's back now. He was uh he was he's back. Uh so he's probably at uh Fast Friday now, which is going on as we finish taping this. Um but uh yeah, Cam that was I'm like, dude, you just stay it's on the there. jet lag, that's 30, why he can keep yeah. up. Thirty four days or so he was out of there. I'm like, wow, must be nice to be able to yeah. do that. Um, Every time I see that for him, I'm like, man, must be nice to be you. Yeah, I wish I was him. And I, I told him, I said, you better send a lot of pictures. And he did. And uh, it's just I wish beautiful. I was younger. Yeah, me too. Beautiful part of the world. And, and uh, glad that he got to experience that. It was, it's just funny to, you know, he just took off and left. Um, but uh, no, uh, you know, man, good to talk to you. Hate that it's under these circumstances, but uh, we'll look forward to 2021 and uh, um, we'll, we'll uh, see what happens then. Yeah, man. Hey, man. That All is, is Mid-State Basement Authority, Stable Memorial 2021, going to be better than ever. And that is Jody London, and uh, we'll uh, be back to wrap things up on The Groove right after this. You've seen the paintings. The Thanksgiving turkey being served at Grandma's. Can I have the weathered farmer sending his baby-faced son off to college. Now be sure and write. The wise police officer sitting at the soda bar, talking a young boy out of running away from home. Where are you going, son? Norman Rockwell didn't create the best in us. He just inspired the best. Inspiration. Pass it on. From the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. Welcome back to Inside Groove. As we continue with this week's show, we turn our attention now back in time to the year 1975, 45 years ago. Gasoline was 13 cents a gallon. Milk, $1.65. Eggs, 84 cents a dozen. Average price of a house, $48,000. Average cost of a new car, $3,800. New bands in 1975. Iron Maiden, Motorhead, the Boomtown Rats, the Runaways, and the Sex Pistols. The first Altair 8800 microcomputer was released. Microsoft was founded. Jimmy Hoffa was reported missing. Saturday Night Live made its debut on NBC. And several drivers, including Roddy Wallace, Jimmy Gray, and Kempton Dates, won their first features ever at the Oswego Speedway. 51 cars took time on Classic Saturday. It took just five cars to break a track record. Freddie Graves went out fifth in the four-wheel drive. Bill Height built number 39 and rattled off a time of 18.247 seconds to set a new track record. Qualifying on the outside of the front row, Jimmy Champagne, 18-363. Row 2 was Nolan Swift, 18-455. Five, five. 
And Johnny Spencer with an 18.508. 24th fastest qualifier? Well, you'd have to go all the way deep into the time trials. Gary Reichert, 19.073. Todd Gibson qualified twice. The first time in his rear engine zero, and he would have started outside pole but chose to do away with that time and get into Freddie Graves' backup car, 38. Later in the qualifying session, and qualified eighth fastest at 18.645, four-tenths slower than he qualified in the rear-engine car. The classic race itself was a really interesting race. Everybody expected Freddie Graves to just run away and hide, but the question was... Would he last? Well, Freddie Graves took the lead off the start and lasted 15 laps, unfortunately, before problems with the spur gear took him out. That gave the lead to Jimmy Champagne. Kempton Dates and Gary Albritton reeled in to challenge him. Dates took the lead briefly, and then he had to pit on lap 44 giving the lead back to Jimmy Champagne. Champagne and All-Britain ran 1-2 and opened up a huge lead over the rest of the field. You had Swift, Spencer, Johnny Logan, Steve Joya, and Eddie Bellinger among those who were battling like crazy. Several crashes, several incidents, one of which took out Ronnie Wallace, who never had any good luck in the Classic, unfortunately. Champagne and Albritton still running out front. But finally, a broken fuel pump pulley on the eight ball eliminates Jimmy Champagne. And Gary Albritton holds off Steve Joya and Johnny Logan to win the 1975 International Classic as the Canton, Ohio driver puts his name permanently into the Oswego Speedway record books and establishes himself as a driver to watch. And oh boy, did Gary have himself a career. I don't know if there was ever a more prolific helmet carrier than Gary Albritton. And uh, that weekend, back then, you could see anything racing at the Oswego Speedway. That weekend was the weekend that uh, Ed Crombie and Art Bullion came in with their rear-engine cars. Neither of them qualified, but it's typical. You know, two drivers from British Columbia come in and attempt to make the Classic, and you've got a rear-engine car that Todd Gibson's driving that was almost fast enough to set pole, and he chooses the front-engine roadster and then is, I think, the second or third car to drop out of the race. Um it just it, it it's indicative of what we saw back then. Paige Reynolds ran a rear engine car that year, uh, one of the height built cars. This was the year that uh, I I remember seeing a picture in the program of the Steve Joya crew playing football in between events on Classic Weekend. It was maybe the most competitive year in Speedway history in terms of 
the depth of the competition and the amount of different types of cars, the innovation was at its peak. You had drivers from New England. You had drivers from the Midwest. You had the guys from British Columbia. You had Paige Reynolds from Texas. Larry Record was in uh, for that particular classic. Baldy Baker was still behind the wheel of the Miles Engineering 93. This was his second stint in the car. The car that Baldy had just gotten out of was the Hagen Howard 6, and it was driven in the classic by George Boss, a former competitor for the Schubert family in the car that Tommy Leeson eventually made his supermodified debut in a couple of seasons earlier. This was an example of a classic, classic. Gary Albritton picking up the win. I don't think it surprised a lot of people that Gary won that race because he'd been fast all year. But I think that it surprised a lot of people that Gary came on as quick as he did from the start of the season to that point. I think everybody understood by Classic Weekend he was a threat to win. But just looking at some of the other drivers that were in the Classic field uh, attempting to qualify, I mean, you had Armin Holly in the Skip Batsik 3. We mentioned Paige Reynolds. Leon the Cowboy Weiske uh, in the 51. That was a uh, Nolan Swift, Bill Wright built chassis. Ronnie Graves made his debut in the number 7 that year. That was the former um, 36 car. Uh, gosh, Rex Kenny was in the C15. Joe Paino was driving for Ernie and Bob June in the 59. He had a wreck in pre-classic qualifying, I think, and took himself out. Jimmy Gray, we mentioned, won his first and only feature at the Oswego Speedway, driving the double zero, which, by the way, just this morning on Facebook... If you go to the, I think it's the Talking Supermodifieds page. I'm going to see if I can pull it up while I'm talking to you here. Um, there is a post. That car has been restored. And I got to tell you, there's a YouTube video that uh, details, kind of shows you around the, the restored car. Um the car just looks fantastic. I am so thankful for the interest in the restored supermodifieds or interest in restoring supermodifieds. Um, okay, yes, here's the post right here. But this particular car was um, Ken Reese owned. Wendell Blevins is the gentleman who put this post up, and I believe he is the same gentleman who actually did the work on it. And I've got to commend him because it is just... It is just gorgeous. I remember the night Jim Gray won his first feature in that car. That was a hugely popular win. He started up front and led the entire distance. I think we had maybe one caution in the race. Ronnie Wallace tried to get by him, couldn't get by him, uh, and Jim ended up winning. Jim qualified 14th for the Classic. Didn't have the uh, the finish that he wanted, but, um, I mean, just looking through this field, of course, you know, back then we had Jim Muldoon still in the Shamrock 13, the old Roy Murphy car with a Ford motor. Don McLaren was in his first full season of running the Nelson Powell Limblad number one. Don picked up a feature win later 
in the season with that car, one of the last races of the year. Um, Ronnie Wallace, of course, we mentioned in the spirit of 76, he was the track champion that year, his best year ever in supermodified racing. Storm and Norman Macrath and the beautiful Bowie Flying Five. Again, not the classic race that he wanted um, to have in terms of result, but uh, he was there. Ronnie Madison was in his own car, number 80 by then. Uh, you had Lou Mall in the 09. Not a regular at Oswego, but uh, somebody that had run several classics. Ronnie McLeod, uh, one of the most personable drivers probably to ever sit in a supermodified at the Oswego Speedway. Ronnie that year was in the Jim Muldoon 68, which was the old Norm Virgo 23. Jimmy put Ronnie, Ron McLeod in his car because he uh, was driving the 13 car and Ronnie put it in the field. I think he was 39th quickest that year, um, but uh, did a great job. Um, of course, you had uh, Steve Joy in the number nine first feature that uh, he won. Jim Cheney was in the 88 car, uh, and that that car was the old Holinsky car that uh, Jimmy drove before Johnny Casey had purchased it. Jim purchased it back for that uh, season, for that race, and uh, started 21st on the field. Jim Wright, another invader with the uh, number 95. That was another rear engine car. He did not make the field. Mike Cronin had the old uh, Duncan rear engine car that Johnny Spencer drove. Uh, Mike didn't make the field, and we had big Don Kells in the field as well uh, with the number 65 car. He didn't make the classic starting lineup, but he was there. Um, just, uh, some of the highlights, uh, Ray Sand also in the 36 car that year, uh, driving for Ron Buckner and, uh, he made it through the, uh, qualifying races. So, uh, just a, a, an amazing weekend. And when you think about where we were in 1975, in terms of not only the supers, but the modifieds as well, those were the glory days where so much, I mean, there were really no rules at that point, very few. Um, and just seeing the different uh, cars and stars from different parts of the country, uh, the crowds that we used to have at that time for the classic, and, you know, gosh, the, the, the camping, um, you know, as a, as a young kid, to be able to take a ride around the track in the middle of that week and already see campers everywhere uh you know it was uh it was a special time to say the least and i'm so thankful that i got to experience those years the 70s and i'm i'm even more thankful i got to experience them as a kid because when you're young um when you're young everything looks magnified you know everything is just big and bold, and 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 uh, at that point in time, um, I mean, I would get chills. And you knew when you, you know, you got to the month of August, and you started seeing guys come in for some of the final shows of that month to dial in and and get ready for the classic. You knew the classic was coming, and and when you would uh, when you would drive, uh, you know, by the track, classic week. I mean, it was just you couldn't wait. You just simply couldn't wait to get to the racetrack. Um, it was an amazing time in supermodified racing. Some of the some of its bravest heroes were 
competing at that time. And, uh, man, I, uh, you know, it, it was just a, a great, I remember it being a great weekend. Um, and really probably the, I mean, 74 was the first classic that I experienced in its entirety. As far as the weekend goes, I went to the time trials, um, did not go to the modified 274, which was sad because Jimmy Champagne ended up winning it. But, um, I don't know why my parents didn't take me, but for whatever reason, they didn't. So I didn't go to that one, but, uh, classic weekend 75 is first one I did in its entirety. And uh, I just remember it being, you know, I, I, I'll never forget. I can, I can feel it even as I'm recalling it and saying it. I'll never forget the feeling of going to the track for time trials and then having the time trials end and knowing that they're going to clear the grandstands, clear the pit area, bring in the modifieds, and run the big modified race. And then I was going for the very first time. And I'll never forget, back in those days and those years, you'd come out of the, the grandstand from time trials and, and, and look to the right at the, the outside staging area. And it just seemed like modifieds were everywhere. Um, there, there used to be 60, 70... You know, I don't know if we ever hit 80, but uh, there were certainly bunches of modifieds, and you'd run, you know, four or five, six heats and, and you know, two consies or whatever. Um, my gosh. I mean, what an amazing time to be a race fan. Um, the cars were were very, still very raw in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, the modifieds especially, when I think back, you know, how heavy they still were and but the number of different bodies that you'd see on the modified cars at that time, you know, to see the the coupes and coaches and gremlins and pintos and corvairs and um, vegas and monzas and uh, gosh, I I'm probably leaving out two or three. Uh, I mean, it was just it was just glorious. And thinking back on it, um, you know, just the 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 smell of breakfast cooking in the campgrounds you know when you get there on classic day and and seeing people um all over the place and you just the energy and the electricity and the excitement um i don't know uh i don't know how many of you have ever been to an indy 500 i was fortunate enough that rick nelson made it possible for for me to to have that experience uh i think it was 89 whatever year emerson fittipaldi won and um man i i mean i can only compare classic sunday to 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 indy 500 pre-race it, it it's it was that kind of uh electricity and anticipation and um it, it just was such a just such a, a an addicting thing you just you know the classic would end and you and you couldn't wait till the next one but you know of course you had to, you had to wait through the entire season and you never want to rush a racing season being over and look at us now in 2020 we haven't even run any races yet i mean that's really when you when you think back 45 years if somebody had said in 45 years you're going to have a situation where you can't even open the track uh for race competition i mean it's just um it, it's unthinkable. So it really, uh, I think the lesson here is that enjoy what you have. You know, enjoy your family, 
Enjoy your friends. Don't take anybody or anything for granted ever because it can be gone in a heartbeat. Obviously, we still have racing at the Oswego Speedway. We had uh, Fast Friday last night. This is Saturday morning as I'm finishing this up, and I do apologize for being a little late, but I wanted to make sure that we got um, the segment in that you just heard with um, Jody London about the Dave London Memorial because Jody asked me if I would give him a few minutes and uh, was happy to do that. Jody is a hardworking promoter and, um, you know, I wanted to make sure that we gave him the time. So um, I hope you enjoyed that look back at, uh, at, at 1975. The next week, we're actually going to have Camden Proud back. Believe it or not, Camden Proud is back in the U.S. And back on Oswego soil. Um, so we're going to have Camden back on the show. And we're going to let him talk a little bit about um, Norway and what it was like to be over there, you know, while everything's going on over here. Um, you know, how different things were, what it's like over there. We're going to really let him just kind of give us a little bit of, uh, you know, education and information about all of that and, and, um, and hear what he experienced over there. But then, um, also of course, talk about fast Friday and, and, uh, you know, who knows, maybe by the time the next show comes out next week, we'll have an announcement regarding classic. We don't know what, you know what the speedway is going to do at this point um whether it be you know postponed to next year or maybe there's a scenario where they decide to okay we can't do it Labor Day weekend but we're going to wait and and if we can somehow pull it off um late September early October whatever the situation that's what we're going to do who knows um but uh we'll We'll obviously have the latest from Cam um, regarding all of that by the whatever's uh, available to us by the time we get to our next show next week. So um, that wraps up this week's show. I hope you you enjoyed it. Uh, really look forward to the next few. We're going to look at 1980 and a, a feat that has never been equaled in classic history, never been done before. Never been done since Jimmy Champagne leading all 200 laps. We're going to look back at 1980 and talk a little bit about uh, what was going on back then in the world and uh, and in supermodified racing at that time and uh, look forward to that. So thanks again to all of our sponsors, Rich Worth and the folks at JNS Paving. Um, of course, Jeff West and his uh, entire team at Indy Performance Composites. Uh, you can go to their website and check them out and also find them on social media. Um, boy, they are, uh, they're still working hard on their supers, even though, uh, there's not many races left. Um, just those cars are works of art and, uh, they've added one of Santos midgets, uh, in the shop as well that they're, they've been working on. So, um, a lot of stuff going on there just on the motorsport side of things, let alone, the rest of what they do. Uh, it's a really fascinating story. And um, hopefully at some point when I'm out there, I really would like to tour the facility. I haven't had the chance to do that. So I uh, want to thank Jeff and his group. And also of course, uh, skips fish fry, Sean and his staff, best, absolute best, 100% best fish in the city of Oswego. Uh, if you're in town, 
go eat dinner there. Go eat lunch there. Um, I'm not even sure if they're actually, you might have to get delivery. I don't, I don't know what's open and what's not up there, but, uh, either way, get some, uh, Skip's fish fry food. It is really good. You will thank me later. And by the way, tell all three of these people, thank you for supporting the show. We appreciate them very much. Uh, look forward to next week. Camden will be back and, uh, we'll kind of, you know, sometimes there are bigger things in life than racing and, um, it'll be fun to sit back and talk to Cam about, um, a different part of the world and just um, hear what uh, he experienced and saw. Uh, a lot of you saw the pictures he's been sharing. I can't wait to uh, to hear some details about what's behind them. So uh, look forward to next week. Hope you've had a great time listening to this show. Hope we brought some memories back and uh, kind of, I mean, let's face it, we're all bummed out because, you know, <laughs> we can't go racing super modified style uh, at Oswego the way we'd like to, but we try to, Use this opportunity in this show to uh, just remember back to the good times and have a little fun along the way. So have a great day, a great weekend, everybody. Be safe and look forward to talking to you next week for episode 57 of the Inside Groove. And oh, by the way, I almost forgot this. We'll we'll leave this for the very end here. Um, the number 56. So I remember a few, and I'm sure there are more than I remember. I remember Leon Weiske having it before he went to the number 51. Um, I'm not sure why that change was necessary, but for some reason, when he came to Oswego, he was 56. He was the first one I remember, and that would have been probably late 60s, early 70s, little before my time of, of going there. The first car I saw him in was the 51 car that uh, Swift and Wright built for him. Um, and then the next 56 that I remember was a car... And the name Bob Shat comes to mind for me, and maybe somebody listening to this show can shed some light on this for me. Bob Shat, I think, was the guy's name. I don't know where the car was from, who built the car. Uh, I remember it being primer colored, and and it seemed like it looked a little funky, like an older style car, kind of a square boxy car, I think. Um, and I think Wayne Landon might have gotten in it uh, for some reason. Um, and, and I would love to know more. If somebody remembers that car, and if I'm right about the name Bob Shot, this would have been yeah, probably 74, 75, somewhere in there. Um, I don't remember the history of the car after that, but I just remember it just for a very brief time there. Uh, Gary Ewell obviously ran, uh, I think 56. I think his last, if I remember right, I think his last, the Troyer car that he destroyed, I think was 56. Um, and then I think Bill, um, McDonald or McConnell, uh, Larry, uh, Trinko will, will, um, remember, uh, you guys should remember the old, um, it was the, it was the Conium. Meeks, Pino, Brubaker car. It was a beautiful yellow car, and uh, was Bill. Like I can never remember if it's McDonald or McConnell, but either way, um, I remember that car uh, number fifty six. And I don't know if I remember another fifty six after that. And and so again, um, if somebody remembers any fifty sixes, that was the episode of the week. Um, 
or the episode number here this week. So uh, anybody remembers any other 56 super modifieds or can shed any information about the Bob Shack car? I'm almost positive that's the name that I remember with that. Um, if anybody can shed some information, share it with me. And if anybody's got any pictures of the car, I'd love to see them too. Maybe one of our photographers from that day, um, that era, will have a, a picture they could share with us. But uh, I I believe I remember... Um, it's funny the little the little flashes flashes of things you remember in your head. I think I remember Roy Sova saying Wayne Landon picks up a ride in the '56, um, and I don't know if that was a classic weekend or just some other weekend of racing. And I I can't remember seeing it on the track, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um, you know, you, you try to. It's that sort of sense of blurry time shift focus. You know, you go back in time and you're trying to make your brain work and remember something and um sometimes it fires off um something and you're like yes okay i remember that now and sometimes you just can't get it to 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 work right and this is one of those that i just have no uh photographic memory in my head of the car being on the track but i vaguely remember it um in the in the pit area and going even going around i think uh with a push truck um, and I think Wayne Landon was in it at that time. So maybe somebody can, uh, can help, uh, with the research on that. And maybe we can even get a picture of it at some point. Um, just drop it in on the inside group podcast page under the, the show in the show comments. Um, but again, thanks to all of you have a, uh, say, excuse me, a safe, um, have a safe, Thanks to all of you for listening. Have a safe weekend and week coming up, and we'll see you next week for episode 57 of the Inside Groove. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.